for me, if I actually built a business like that, where I didn't get to have individual relationships with the therapist that I'm serving, I would be unfulfilled. Like what I've noticed is like, I just go look for that somewhere else. I'm like, oh, I'll just make this other program. Wait a second. Like, what am I looking for? Welcome to Therapist Expanded, where we start a mental health revolution by living our dreams fully and freely beyond industry conditioning and taking every client with us because we'll only take them as far as we've gone. So join me, your host, Aaron Gibb, and my trailblazing guests and be revolutionary by expanding your mind and your life to your freest and fullest potential. Okay, hello, party people. I just want to call you party people. Sometimes that comes up for me. Feels like a joyous statement. Hello, party people. Okay. So today on the podcast, this is probably why I'm so pumped. I'm excited to share my interview with Lindsay Bonham. And this is a beautiful interview. We go into some practicalities around Lindsay's work, also the development of our identity as therapists, and some of the discourse, some of the conditioning, and the different ways we can show up as therapists. And I'm hoping as you listen to this, if you're finding you're not completely fulfilled, that some of the ways we talk about the personality of us as therapists and what it means to overcome some of the over-responsibility and different things like that, that maybe you will feel less alone if you're also going through some of that. That's my hope anyway. In the show notes, you'll find links to the things we were talking about in this episode. So without further ado, here is my episode with Lindsay Bonham. All right. So I'm here today with Lindsay Bonham. Lindsay, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Okay. So I'm going to start where I always do, which is tell us about yourself, your work, and your passions in the field. Mm-hmm. So I am a therapist turned money coach. I have a course called Money Skills for Therapists. That is like my main kind of engine of what I do, which is all about taking therapists from money confusion and shame and overwhelm to calm and confidence and empowerment. And so, yeah, Money Skills for Therapists is the main way I do that. But I also have a podcast, the Money Skills for Therapists podcast. And then I have other offers. I'm coming out with a group practice course actually really soon, which I'm very excited about. It's going to be very meaty. There's going to be a lot of like real number stuff in there. And I do masterminds as well from time to time. So my whole focus is helping therapists with finances and not just like money mindset, but the actual how to of understanding money coming in, money going out, building systems, saving for vacation, all the kind of like nitty gritty spreadsheety stuff. I'm a big fan of like feelings and spreadsheets. And that's the kind of little Venn diagram that I occupy. Oh, I love it because they they need to go together. It's the feelings that derail the spreadsheets or avoid the spreadsheets. Yes, yes. And also if you're in the spreadsheets and you're not connected with the feelings, then you can build something that sucks and that looks great on paper, but you can build a life that really doesn't serve you. Yeah, that's what I call the difference between success and fulfillment. Mm, yeah. Right. Yes, They're yes, not yes. the same thing. They're they not the same. They can have no. a diagram as well. They yep. can have a great intersection, but they're mm-hmm. thing. No, I've definitely seen some numbers that by anybody's measure would be success. And they have belonged to people who are f- far from fulfilled. Yep. Absolutely. 
beautiful. And I loved, I wanted to be such a joker and like facetious when you said, and I have a therapist. I thought that was <laughs> Did I say I have a therapist? Yeah. You're like, and I have a therapist. And I was like, oh. I do also have a therapist. Yeah. yeah cool. I have a couple actually, depending on what I want to work on. But yes, that is also true. Me too. <laughs> same, same. Same, same. But it was just cute. And I was like, everything in me was like, no, don't be like a disturber. Just wait. But I had to. I can't. Yeah. I'm a shit disturber. That's who I am. I get it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you told us a lot there, and I'm very grateful. You're doing some amazing work in the world. Yeah, thank you. I I love the work. So the fact that it lines up and that it lands for people and people need it and it's like fun and easy for me is this beautiful symbiosis. Mm-hmm. You've created from what I would call a place that fulfills you. Yes. Yeah, I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so you've spoken a little bit there about like your passions. Is there something you would pull out of there that is like the thing that really fulfills you about the work? Mm, the thing that really fulfills me about the work. My brain goes in two different directions. One is legacy, which I've just started to think about a little bit more. I was just at a conference on Friday, the American Counseling Association conference in Toronto. And I went with my operations manager. So we had like a whole day together to like, not just like scope out booths, because we're thinking we're going to start doing booths in conferences, which I'm very excited about, but also just to like watch presentations and chat and think about like, where am I going and the work that I'm doing? And like, where, where would we want to see me in conferences in the future? And we started talking a bit about legacy and like, what is the legacy of my work? And I think in the past, I've been very resistant to the idea of legacy because I'm like, no, my life is my legacy. Like my my son is my legacy. My relationships are my legacy. Like, but I am starting to connect more with like the impact of the work and starting to understand the ripple of the work that I do. So on one hand, when I think about fulfillment, I do think about that level of, you know, like working with a therapist who comes in at this place, this like anxious, overwhelmed, disempowered, I'm dumb. I'm never going to figure this out. My math, my grade two math teacher was right. I suck at math and comes out on this other side of like owning their fee, taking vacations, like feeling really like embodied in the work that they do and really owning like this gift that they have. And saving for, you know, retirement at the same time, all of that beautiful bundle. Mm-hmm. So on one hand, I would say that's a fulfilling thing. And that is like when I when I zoom out and think big picture, that is fulfilling. But actually, I think what I actually find fulfilling in in the kind of present day to day is just doing the work, like getting on calls with my students. And we were talking about this a little bit just, you know, before we recorded about um, sometimes I'll, I'll do calls with with students and like they're therapists. So they're overfunctioners, and they're watching the time. And at half an hour, they're like, well, thank you so much for meeting with me today. Like they start to close down our call, but it's like, I actually often am so in the flow and having so much fun. And I just do one call usually with students who are in my course. Like this is our time together that it's like, I kind of don't want it to end. Cause I'm like having a great time. And that ability to sit with folks and like have these both like depthful and practical conversations simultaneously just makes my brain so happy. <laughs> I'm just like, we get to talk about like spreadsheets and, you know, childhood experiences in the same half hour. For me, there's this like beautiful fulfillment there that is just fun. It just makes life easy. It makes the work, the work is is not work. And that is very fulfilling. My days are easy. That's your zone of genius. If you ask me, you're in your zone of genius. Something crystallized as you were saying that, because I'm also, I felt a tension in therapy where I am a practical person. I love like soaring to new heights of fulfillment and people unlocking things and connecting them wherever they are in their history mm-hmm. and their culture. But then I'm also really practical and I love coaching as a space for that. Yeah. 
because I like bringing it to then like, okay, so like, what are you going to do? And then what's the accountability going to be I'm here to support you with that? Yes. Yes. That's where I love that coaching has a little bit more like skin in the game, rubber on the road. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, so what are we going to do about that? Like, how can I support you? So I was thinking that and I'm thinking, yeah, my zone of genius is a hybrid as well. Mm -hmm. And it isn't that some therapy clients can't go there. But you also said legacy, and it made me think about, I think one of Mike Michalowicz's books that talks mm. about legacy and how my business partner and I have thought about that as group practice owners, that we hope that it will outlive us. Yeah. 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 Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, I think legacy has been a hard thing for me to identify with because, and the reason is, and I'm curious about your thoughts on this. Mm. I was just chatting with my operations manager as we were coming back from this conference about I think so often I've resisted the idea of legacy because I think that legacy, big legacies often come at the cost of the immediate relationships of that person, mm-hmm. right? So like incredibly talented musicians, scholars, scientists, like these people who make massive impacts on the world and whose names most people know, often those folks are are not as like present in their family. They're not present with their partner or their kids don't get to see them that much or their kids feel like they're kind of public property, not really their parent. Mm-hmm. And like, so I think that, you know, I probably have some work to do there to like think about the both and of it. But mm-hmm. I think for me, I so value just my own life, my beautiful little life and like making sure that I just like have emotional energy for the things that really matter to me and the people that really matter to me, that that is why legacy has not called to me as much. Cause I'm like, nah, I don't know if it's really worth it. I think I'd rather, you know, enjoy my life and create good energy in my world and the people around me than leave a mark, but also, you know, like have some like dark biographies written about me uh, after my death. <laughs> what was she really like? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Those, right. An expose. I'm listening to you going. Yeah. But I'm realizing something about myself and that I had just when COVID kind of got into the thick of things and my life, I was the sole breadwinner and things kind of, you know, everything came to a stop. And I was like, yeah. oh my, did some work on myself. Thank you, EMDR as well. Yes. And then came Always. back to this like, oh yeah, this is amazing. Got a lot of things off my plate right there. I was in this place of the most comfort and ease in my practice. Mm. Everything was amazing. I had a small Mm. group. It was so tiny. And then my business partner contacted me and it was like the vision of what Mm -hmm. we can create, the legacy. Yes. And I will acknowledge that while I'm not a famous person, putting myself into a place of running a group practice, starting a podcast, coaching and doing therapy at one point, it was a lot for Mm. my family. So what's beauty though, is I think it's the both. And what I realized was, oh, there's some over-functioning here Mm. and I want to have it all. And who doesn't like on some level, whatever your all is, even if your all is, I want to work less. Great. Have it all. So yeah, it's been about finding that both. And and yeah, yeah. That balance. Like, yeah, it makes me think about this phrase from my, well, one of my therapists, my mm-hmm. psychoanalyst, not my EMDR therapist who I see for different things. But he, you know, used this phrase before of like, the greater the light, the greater the shadow. Mm-hmm. Right. And so thinking about that too, of like, you know, the, the more kind of we build these big things and we are like visible and taking up all yeah. this space, 
there is cost to that. And you get to decide kind of, you know, what your ambitions are and what your goals are and what's fulfilling for you and all that stuff. And I think for me, what I've noticed is like, I'm not an influencer personality that doesn't fulfill me at all. I recently redid my Clifton Strengths and I'm a connector. A relator is my very top personality. I like having conversations like this, one-on-one conversations. That's why like, I love my time with my students because I'm just like, I, I love people so much. I know it's not always a popular opinion, but I really like people a lot. And then after that, it's kind of like discipline and order is like another strength for me. And like nowhere in my top five list is, is creating influence. And it's actually way down at the bottom. So what I've realized for me is like being famous, not on my list, not going to fulfill me. In fact, actually would probably create a lot of stress for me, right? But like creating a lot of relationships and like bringing order into other people's worlds and like creating systems that can ripple out for me that's fulfilling. So that's where like, I need to lean in. And thankfully from a kind of impact perspective that costs less than like, you know, doing your world speaking tour, which tends to take more energy and time. hundred percent. As you were talking about it, I was like graphing it onto this quiz that I've developed. And I was thinking about like, oh, I'm so grateful. I went in certain directions because I don't think I realized how much it was similar to a strengths finder and how mm-hmm. your fulfillment has to align mm-hmm. with what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Our fulfillment must align with who we really are. It yeah. can never be about the check boxes. No, the shoulds no. must outside of a. Absolutely not. Like, and even with my course, like I've been in the course building space now for five years, five years. Is that true? No. Yes. But really in the course building space for like three or four years since 2020, just before COVID started. That's when I like leaned into my course. I launched it in April, 2020. And one of my friends was like, you're going to make no sales, but that's okay. You'll figure it out later. But I actually made 20 sales and everything was fine. And I went from there, but I've been in that world for a long time. And for a lot of people in that world, success is when you do no more one-on-one work and you're only doing scaled work where you're, you're on a call and there's 50 people listening, right? that for me is not actually fulfilling. So maybe that's success when, you know, folks are so excited to work with me that they're okay, that they don't get any of my individual time. they like learn so much from just being in my presence. But for me, if I actually built a business like that, where I didn't get to have individual relationships with the therapist that I'm serving, I would be unfulfilled. Mm-hmm. Like what I've noticed is like, I just go look for that somewhere else. I'm like, oh, I'll just make this other program. Wait a second. <laughs> like, what am I looking for? And so that's important to know too. Cause like, if I was following the path, I would actually end up somewhere that would not personally serve me. Bingo. Which is, I'm sure as people are listening, there are people who are going, yeah, maybe I did follow what was laid out in front of me. I certainly Mm -hmm. did. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, a burnout fiesta. It was just magnificent how much I crashed. Very grateful. Because if I hadn't crashed that hard, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I would have done the kind of reassessment that we're talking Mm -hmm. about here of like, wait, who? was telling me I should do that like who was I doing that for I even remember having a talk with a family member who can embody some of these helper personality traits and you know helping professional of like you gotta serve 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 till you're dead I say that tongue-in-cheek but I worked with a lot of health professionals there is a part in health professionals for some people depending on their history that will work us to death Mm -hmm. that's no Mm -hmm. qualms about it Mm -hmm. thinks that's the way to be loved so when I told this person that I, you know, how many clients I saw a day and then I capped it at basically three hours, that's how many mm-hmm. clients I was seeing in a day, mm-hmm. she just couldn't process it. But why? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but why? And I was right. like, that's how I stay not just surviving, like I'm thriving at three mm-hmm. client sessions a day. And it was mm-hmm. so fascinating to watch the mirror on someone else. So I'm not sure exactly what led me there, but it was about this, like designing a life for someone else. 
I could have easily designed the life of what we're supposed to do. Sure. As someone who's in a launch right now and has a launch manager and the launch manager is educated in a launch management kind of program that we mm-hmm. we've enrolled them in, which has been awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm realizing how certain aspects of a traditional launch don't work for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not a one. Mm-hmm. I won't be doing them again. Yeah. <laughs> and that's cool. That's great. I'm glad. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think sometimes we do need to, we do need to try the things that don't work to be like, mm, no, this is canceled. I'm not doing this again. Experience it once to know that it's not for you. Yeah. It's uh, what is it? The a pedal of experience is worth a meadow of warning for a person like me. Mm. I don't know if any, if everybody needs to do things the hard way, but I seem to need a touch of that. Um, <laughs> especially as an adolescent, but I mean, who wasn't there, but if I think about that, Oh my goodness. If I think about me now, I still seem to need to have a little experience of something mm. it, like someone else saying that was hell. I need to be like, mm, was it? I, it's hot. Let me see. Should I just oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But I really I don't have that trait at all. No, I have the opposite. Okay. I will watch, watch other people in my personal life, but also my business life. I'll watch people and I'll talk to my partner and be like, we're not doing that. Yeah. This thing yeah. that these friends are doing this like kitchen renovation that's gone off the rails and they didn't have enough money. And now they've had to stop midway and they have no more life savings. Let's never do that. <laughs> it's like, I, I am good at learning from others, which, you know, I think in some ways has its own cost because you kind of experience less because I do glean others pain so deeply. That I'm like, oh, no, that's not for me. So it's a gift and I'm sure there's downsides to it. But I definitely watch friends doing things with launches that I'm like, nope, I'm never doing that. Yeah. Yeah. As a parent, I would love for my child to be the meadow of warning kind of person. It just came Mm -hmm. up. I I think that there is a safety in being the meadow of warning person. There's also a logic. There's like such a, well, yeah, I I hear Mm -hmm. what you're saying. I think, well, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It, it makes a lot of sense to just look at other people doing the thing and going, no, it's not for me. Yeah. I would love to be that person on some level, but yeah. I'm not. My, nope. my daughter is not. She no. might, and that's going to be probably a painful thing to watch. Yeah. Yeah. As a parent, I'm sure that that is painful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It yeah. is. Yeah. But I think that's also, you know, embracing who we are, right. And using those strengths or at least not fighting against who we are. And maybe that's also something too, as we think about the different things that we take on or try or don't try is like, if you know, you need to try it, just try it, mm-hmm. <laughs> get it over with. Cause otherwise I wonder for you, if you would just be wondering about something, if you didn't do it yourself, hundred percent, it would just take up bandwidth of like, Oh, but what if I did do that? Yeah. I'm the person when they bring out the hot plate from the restaurant, they say it's hot. You shouldn't touch it. I'm like, mm, you're like, mm. how hot is it? Let's see. And then I do it. I'm like, I worked in a restaurant for 10 years. Why do I need to do that? But part of this process that I've unfolded Mm -hmm. that I hear you saying is giving ourselves permission to not be the cardboard cutout. Mm -hmm. And I was recently had someone on my podcast. We talked about the cardboard cutout, this Mm. this idea of who we should be. And it's Mm. the conditioning and this like who we should be as a therapist. And I've worked with enough therapists now to ask them. They actually have a mental image of what they should actually look like. Yes. Who they should be. And it was built in childhood, right? Mm. I mean, mine was in an 80s business suit. You know, that, oh, yeah. that's I'm a child of the 80s. So it was mm. like, this is a woman who's successful. Hmm. Other than yeah. the haircut, I don't think anything overlaps with that. Person. <laughs> you know? You do have a power haircut. Thank you I very much. Yeah. yeah. And that's funny because mine is very flowy. 
Mm. Right. Like I, I used to joke with one of my business friends. He was like my lunch buddy at the building I worked at. You know, it was like he was the only other person in the building who was there almost every day. And so when I heard James going to have lunch, I was like, I don't care that I'm not hungry. I'm having lunch. Like yeah. this is my social contact for the day. And I remember joking with him before that, like as therapists age, they just get more and more cardigans and more and more scarves. Like you just layer and layer and layer. And like part of that, I think, is like sitting for long periods of time. Like we have like soft therapy bodies because we have bodies that have to be sedentary while we're like doing all the emotional mental work. But also I think there's like a protectiveness that happens where we're like kind of covering ourselves from like all the heaviness that we deal with. Also, probably there's like crystals in the mix. But like that's kind of what I picture with that therapist. Like crystals? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) For the listeners, I held up from my altar, which is besides Yes, I have a myriad of crystals. There you go. Yes. And the thing is, I'm not a crystal person at all. Okay. I have some crystals here that were given given to me by coaches. And I'm like, I don't know what this is. This one's magnetic though. So it's kind of fun. But that's kind of the image that I see, which is in some ways like a very gendered image, right? Like very feminine, like soft, flowy. And like, I'm not actually really like that. But I think that that for me is like part of the cardboard cutout, I guess, is this softness that you have for folks which I kind of had as a therapist, but I'm also can be directive. I had a both and as a therapist. And it's so valuable to look at that because when we start to do what we were talking about, knowing our strengths and then give ourselves permission that it isn't a flaw. I love human design for this. Mm. Human design, I don't know if you know about it. It's interesting. And I was skeptical like I was of astrology and many things. And I still am not sure. But then when I've watched my whole astrology chart come together, I'm like, whoa, that's creepy. And Mm. then now with human design, I'm like, okay, this is unbelievable. But what it's done is it's helped me to see that the things that are really divergent from Mm. the cardboard cutout are actually some of my greatest strengths. The things that people often have kind of veiled criticism towards us in our lives Mm. a lot of that is a superpower Mm. but not if we're comparing it to the cardboard cutout though it's going to look like a flaw to get in line like to shift and to try to be different and i mean as a human being we can have that experience easily of thinking Mm. well i'm different and it doesn't measure up but human design has really helped me see that actually some of what i thought was a problem is a huge strength yes Yes, I believe that. I should really do mine. My two business besties have done theirs and they're like, do yours. What are you? And they were speculating on what I am. I have no language for it whatsoever. But it does make me think, you know, as I mentioned, I didn't redo my Clifton Strength recently, but I resurrected my Clifton Strengths for my team. We had a new team member and she's like, what's this Clifton Strengths stuff in the folder? And I was like, oh, right. We were supposed to do that three years ago <laughs> or two years ago. So we all dug out our personality profiles that we had done. And similarly, I feel like the same thing like when you really can just own like these are traits that like really define me that kind of rise above all these other traits because I think humans are like very complex and like I was a parts therapist like I really believe in like complexity and multiple layers and as we heal or move into different spaces different aspects of us are going to be more present and more at the top but generally speaking we have like a general vibe that defines us and owning that I think is really powerful and owning again coming back to you know we were chatting before about like fulfillment and like what actually feeds you when we try to disown these really important parts of us. I don't even know if we could be fulfilled, you know, without really expressing these traits that are so fundamental to who we are. Yeah. You've put in a layer there that's so important. 
to actually be, be fulfilled in life is we cannot follow someone else's path no, not in no. the same way. And no. yet I was on your podcast just talking about this, but I'm going to bring it up. It, it's this, we are compliant as someone once said to me as therapists We're I call it, we're good students of our culture mm-hmm. we, to be successful and to have followed higher education to this level. We've learned how to do the things yeah. But it's not an easy thing to then later shake because we kind of have a trajectory set out for us. Most people in graduate school, it's like, well, you can work in an agency. I guess you could go into private practice. But it's sort of my experience. I was really pushed toward an agency and then private practice. It was like already there was this yeah. map laid out in yes. front of me. Yes. And yeah, I think everybody can probably relate. Like that oh. is what we're taught. Absolutely. And like when I started my private practice, I'm a social worker is my regulatory body, although I'm not practicing at this time, I should say. But I remember I got a guide from the Association of Social Workers on how to start a private practice because I was like, okay, I've been in this agency. I ended up working for the agency where I did my placement for my MSW. So I had already kind of been there as a student. I got one job with them. Then I got a second job with them. So I was doing like some committee stuff. And then I became a therapist there, a counselor. And after... I can't remember now if it was one or two years. It wasn't long enough. I'm putting that in quotations. I was Mm -hmm. like, I got a jet. Like, I got to do my own thing. This is not good for me. And I remember getting this thing from the Ontario Association of Social Workers. And on the very second page, when you opened it up, it said, this guide is for people who have been practicing for at least five years. If you have not been practicing for five years, we do not advise that you start a private practice. And I was like, turn the page. (laughs) Keep going. I'm like, Starting that practice at whatever age I was, 27, 28 or whatever, was the exact right step for me. It was completely logical, but like I really did get pushed back, not just by that, you know, inanimate object, that book from the association. But I remember like meeting with a colleague who was probably about 20 years older than me. And she was like, well, you know, when I started my private practice, my kids were teenagers and no, 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 like subtext, subtext, you're too young, you're too young, you're too young. And I had to really push against that. And if I hadn't pushed against that, I think I actually would have been really stunted as a clinician because where I was, I couldn't practice EMDR and I couldn't do complex trauma work. And I ended up, you know, moving into the space of like complex trauma dissociation, like having this very particular specialty that served my community, people who literally could not find service other places in some cases, right? Because it was so, it's work that most people don't want to do. And if I hadn't actually like taken that bet on myself, I wouldn't have been able to to work with those folks and like serve all the folks that I did work with, you know, at that too young age in quotations. Oh, I think I say this every podcast that I do. So anyone who's listening is like, we've heard this before, Aaron, but I'm going to say it again. I just trust when there's guests coming on that when I feel drawn to someone, I go with it. I trust my mm-hmm. intuition. I could say my experience of trying to open a private practice was very similar. I had people, mm-hmm. it was unbelievable. Yeah so so similar mm-hmm. people even saying well you shouldn't put your picture on things because people will see how young you are and but well, anyway with all their stuff i get it but about this hierarchical thinking of like well you've yes. got to cut your you know cut your yes. chops pay your dues yes. that is the nonsense that we're taught in grad school we're taught in higher education like the yeah. you earn but the other piece is that complex trauma work specializing in dissociation and parts in emdr hello that's what? what yeah. No, yes. <laughs> that is <Yes>. so specific. <laughs> so specific, and that no one else was doing it, and it was yes. part of how my niche built yeah. my private practice yes. in four months. Yes. and then I grew to a group, and then I didn't, and then I did again. So anyway, mm-hmm. 
but mm-hmm. it is yeah there's a lot you said there but the hierarchical thinking is one of the problems that keep if we are going to do all the things we're told yeah. this hierarchical idea of you have to earn you're not worthy yeah and when i think about fee setting which i've talked about many times here and mm-hmm. on your podcast mm-hmm. at some point that worthiness, which is the first barrier to raising the fee, comes mm. down to some of this. Like you didn't mm. cut your chops necessarily. Yes. And who's even giving that measurement? The cardboard cutout, I think, came to me as a metaphor because it is hollow. Mm-hmm. It's not three-dimensional even. It is just an idea. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons I, I've seen that therapists can think, well, I'm not sure I'm so deeply conditioned, is because conditioning is subtle. Oh, sure. It's not so overt. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. nobody ever looked at me at grad school and said okay i want you to burn out become a martyr mm-hmm. and you've got to cut your chops and mm-hmm. nobody actually said those things to me mm-hmm. but as i followed the path that was laid out in front of me from grad school i did all those things sure yeah 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 yeah. you know the path that you're you're supposed to walk and what i did find is when you deviate from the path then people do police you then you actually hear more of the the messages, right? Of like, when you're out of line, folks will let you know subtly or not that you are out of line. And then you have to kind of start swimming against the current, which takes energy. This is where coaching support is so helpful, but you're yeah. right. It's when you challenge the conditioning in yourself or in yeah. society that that's when you get the rub. And I've talked about the most cherished lies mm-hmm. that we hold. And it's when we start to go against our conditioning, it gets noisy. Mm-hmm. And absolutely, oh, yeah. the peanut gallery comes up. Sure. And they, there will be policing. You can go to a Facebook group. You can go to all these different places and you will see what was invisible conditioning. As soon as you step partly outside of it, mm-hmm. it becomes incredibly visible. And it's part of what I'm doing here is some of what I say on this podcast, people don't want to hear, but it's mm-hmm. only for the purpose of listen to yourself listening. It's It's like hear the conditioning fighting. Yes. To keep you not sovereign, not free, not yes. empowered. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah, that noise is internal and external, mm-hmm. right? When, when you step outside and that's like what I've noticed too. And from a, a parts inspired perspective, also reflected a lot over the last couple of years on like grief and loss, all of the things that we lose when we step outside of that conditioning and also like honoring that, that it's not, you know, I, I say noise because it can literally be noisy, but there are also parts of us that do legitimately need to like grieve losses of certain relationships that are no longer going to be workable because of choices that you've made. And like, you're no longer the person that they want you to be, or they're going to keep trying to policing you back into where you were, you know, or like, yeah, certain client work, agency work, like all these things, like they are, there are losses that also come along the way as we step more into our own lives and and owning our own needs and wants and wishes. Oh yeah. The unveiling of who we really are means shedding a lot of clothing, coats, Mm -hmm. jackets, hats, boots. That's the the image I have. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's about the who we really are. We usually came into the world somewhat like who we really are. Mm-hmm. curious mm-hmm. loving yeah. attached and then with yes. our unique spin our unique temperament we put a whole bunch of conditioning on mm-hmm. and to take it off does mean re-seeing the world re-seeing relationships mm-hmm. it can be very painful you know and with that like i've even thought before about if i think about who i was born mm-hmm those like core essential pieces of who I was that are unchangeable. And when you have kids, you see this, right? Like we we only have one kid, 
But I bet if we had a second kid, they would be a totally different person than our first kid, right? Like, it's just like the traits that come out from the very beginning. When I think about, you know, my core self of who I was, and then I think about the things that I went through that rewarded being empathetic, the survival utility of being very attuned to what was happening and being able to smooth over situations and knowing what other people were feeling before they know that they're feeling it, like all of those things. If I didn't have those experiences, sometimes I've asked myself, would I have become a therapist? Mm. And I don't really know. And I kind of suspect not. And I think that's why I actually ended up growing out of that work, particularly. I still love people. I still love the connection and all those things we talked about earlier. But what I realized is for me, like as I did more and more healing work and my own EMDR, my own parts work, it stopped being fulfilling to sit in that space with folks, to sit in that deep suffering. Like I was like, I can't live here anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, and I do wonder if not for my own experiences, if I ever would have wanted to live there with who I innately am. You know, like I look at sometimes like what I consume in my interests and it's like, I listen to a lot of stand-up comedy. I listen to stand-up comedians talk about stand-up comedy, <laughs> like the creative process. And it's like, that tells me about like parts of me and like a type of taking up space that was not possible when I was growing up and was not available given the environments that I was in. So that is also an interesting piece to me is like, as we grow, who do we become and does the work that we need to do actually need to change sometimes? Oh, I love so much everything you said. I, there's not much I can add other than like all the fervent head nodding mm -hmm. because yes, I grew out of it as well. Mm -hmm. And I asked myself those same questions. If what the ruinous empathy used to survive mm -hmm. that hadn't been there, and I used my emp empathic gifts for something else. I don't even know, but I've really thought about it. Mm -hmm. so who I was before conditioning and trauma. Yeah. I know her very, very well. Mm -hmm. And I've come much more full circle. But that spiritual little kid that I was. Yeah, that that's who I've come back around to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that was so beautiful. It really, what we're talking about, nuances, the art of being a therapist, being fulfilled and making our choices. I think it opens up the box way bigger than mm -hmm. the trajectory that was laid out in front of us. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What a gift. Yeah. 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 It's, it's absolutely a gift. And like, I will say now in the work that I'm doing, like even being at this conference with Christelle, my wonderful operations manager. And looking around and being like, where do I want to be in the future? Like, do I want to be on the main stage? Do I want to teach a workshop? Like, do you want to have a booth? Like, even just starting to think about that kind of like visibility and taking up space for me shows me how far I have come in the healing work that I have done. That like, I no longer think that the right place for me is my quiet, beautiful little therapy room that was always just so. <laughs> and that was like beautiful and amazing but quiet and safe and one-on-one -on -one and like where the which is a very safe space for me right like now I start to think about the impact that I want to have and like where I belong my ideas of where I belong have changed a lot over the last few years beautiful I think we could probably talk about this for hours and you may have just answered the question. So I'm going to present back what I heard yes. about this yes. two-sided coin of when you really mm -hmm. went after something I'm going to say what I heard, but if you want yeah. to just say, no, it's a different one. Cool. Sure. You said that you weren't fulfilled working in an agency mm -hmm. and you stayed there for some time, but then you decided, even though you were going against the grain, even though people started policing you, mm -hmm. you did this anyway, and you've only mm -hmm. grown from there. Yeah. 
I saw the two-sided coin there, but maybe you could give us, maybe that's it. Or you have another example where you feel like you held yourself back and then either on the other side of that or something else, you went for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And well, I think like I've had multiple two-sided coins on that same journey, mm-hmm. right? So I think the step from agency to private practice was a huge step. And that was really me like going for it, like holding myself back for like a little while and then realizing like, wow, I'm actually becoming unwell in this environment. And like, this is not worth it. And it wasn't the work. The work was heavy. I was doing domestic violence, sexual assault work. Sometimes it was scary work. Sometimes you didn't know if your clients were safe, but it wasn't the work. It was the environment staying in there for that little bit longer than I ought to and making that jump. And when I made that jump, Aaron, like I had nothing lined up. Like, it's not like I had like been seeing clients in the evening or had started my website. Like I had literally nothing. Like I remember feeling like I was jumping off a cliff. And I said that to some of my friends and family, like, I feel like I'm jumping off a cliff and I'm just going to have to trust that I'm going to build a parachute and like land softly. But no matter what, I got to get out of here. So that was definitely like a big move. But then shutting down my practice, you know, was the next one. Right. So like six or seven years into that work realizing like, oh, now I've outgrown this space, mm-hmm. at least for now. And with therapy, like I kind of leave the door open mm-hmm. as to like one day, a different, a different specialty, a different niche might pop up for me. And I might jump back into the work in a different way, but certainly taking that step and like actually closing down my clinical work altogether and just going all in on my business, money, nuts and bolts and money skills for therapists. And like that was taking a huge bet on myself especially since I am the main breadwinner in our family. And actually now my spouse works for me. So even though he and I kind of earn equally, three quarters of the money in our household comes from my business. That was like the next jump. And then it makes me wonder like, will I have another on this same path? Will I someday, this won't be fulfilling as I grow. Uh, We'll see. Yeah. I I think that that, when we actually look at what fulfills us, that that is usually the trajectory when we start to ask ourselves how can I live outside of that cardboard cutout and calling it is it's Mm -hmm. an evolutionary process yeah it's the other reason why if people are hearing this and they're thinking well I was really happy when I started at this agency great Mm -hmm. you were Mm -hmm. a different person yep you were a different person than Mm -hmm. you are now Mm -hmm. it's just honoring Mm -hmm. who we are now and I and I love that and I think accepting that is so important and like something that you know, I've talked about maybe in some of my own podcast episodes with some of my like business friends going back to maybe like grief and like the other side of this coin is like something that I've also had to do over time is like let go of relationships, right? And like let go of friendships that were once very dear to me or people that I once felt like we were kin, you know, that they were my people. And then you change and then you realize that they're not your people anymore. And I think for me, as someone who, you know, has a fear of conflict, <laughs> has always been the caregiver and the rock. And the person that, you know, the friends call when something's going sideways, when they're overwhelmed, when they're having a panic attack, like being that person and saying, actually, I'm going to stop investing in this relationship and sometimes just letting relationships drift or sometimes even letting folks know because it comes to a point like I'm actually I'm I'm not going to keep investing. Our relationship has been immensely difficult. It's probably been more difficult for me than the business leaps because it's really hit on some of my like core fears and like the things that are hardest for me as someone who, again, also really likes people and just wants everybody to be like happy and cared for. But like that for me has also been part of the journey and will probably continue to be part of the journey is like being honest about like what are the relationships that are feeding me? Who are the folks that I feel let up when I'm around? And like, 
what are the relationships that actually make me feel like I'm going back in time and that I'm losing progress mm. in terms of the the healing work that I've done or yeah, that my personal growth and those have been very difficult moves to make and continue to be, frankly, as more of those come to my awareness. But I also know that for me, that has been essential because that's like my kryptonite falling back into like an old pattern with someone that makes me feel small and unappreciated and used. And like, I have to be the, like the sober person, you know, who's talking them down from some like, you know, bad idea or countering the, the advice they're getting. That's bad advice. I want to be that person. It's not fun, but that has been a, a surprisingly challenging part of doing this kind of personal growth. Absolutely. It, it rubs against often from what I'm hearing, the conditioning that we've gotten as therapists to be these helpers, these conflict avoidant. And I see something now as you're talking that for some of us, it feels like business and, and the therapy work, we can do that. But in our personal lives, And then I've met a lot of therapists and I think myself included where it feels like an overlap where Mm. it feels maybe like telling a client that I'm changing my practice feels Mm. like there could be conflict. There could Mm -hmm. be. So sometimes it's separate, the personal and the professional and other times the same pattern really shows up in the therapy room. And I would say that at some point it's probably inevitable that it would, because we're always working our stuff out everywhere we go. Absolutely. And I think our way of doing relationships is often our way of doing relationships, yeah, right? Like, you know, we, I, I don't think people tend to have hugely divergent ways of relating to people. We're going to have some commonalities that come through in just how we are with people. Yes. And it can be the added difficulty to leaving an agency, for example, is mm-hmm. if those feelings of leaving people and telling yeah. them, especially if it, those relationships in the therapeutic space aren't working for you anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I'm so honored that you shared that. It's very personal and beautiful and vulnerable. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're welcome. Mm. Well, I'm wondering then if I can ask you one more specific question. Go for it. Okay. So, what does mental health revolution mean to you? Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. This is like the practical side of me, mm-hmm. and I feel like maybe this is controversial going against like fee for service therapy, but we live in Canada mm-hmm. where healthcare is mostly covered. Let's say like 80 or 90% covered. Hospital stays are covered, all of those kinds of things. And I kind of came to this realization when I was having a conversation on, on my own podcast, one of my very early episodes about, I would love to see us get to a place where mental health care, let's talk in Canada and the US, I know this would be so revolutionary. It's like impossible. Mm-hmm. But in Canada where mental health care is covered, and therapists are paid like doctors. That's what I want to see. Oh, yeah. Doctors in Canada get paid very well. You know, like they they get paid commiserate to the work that they do and the risks that they take on. I think we take almost equal amounts of risk, definitely depending on the population we're working with. The intricacy of it, like the skill set that is required that is so specific that many people could not just step into the job. Like it has to be a specific kind of smart, just like doctors are a specific kind of smart. I probably wouldn't be a very good doctor, but I was a very good therapist. I would love to see that become just a normal part of our healthcare system that is covered proactively, just like seeing your doctor is covered and is just neutral. And for therapists to be paid at least 150 a year. That for me would look like systemic change that would actually make a difference to the broader mental health of specifically our country. We'll start there because I know in the States, 
<laughs> There's more barriers to that in the States in terms of public health care. Yeah, I think that was a great mic drop because it doesn't actually take long to think about how, from a social justice perspective and from a healthcare perspective, from a wellness perspective, investing in preventative care like therapy and especially doing trauma work. Hello, ACE scores. Like, like a no-brainer. It's It saves money. It's yeah. not oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. But yes. it saves hella money. It saves money. It saves lives. Well, yeah. It saves the criminal justice system. All this like needless work. Yep. Yeah. Foster care system. Like you all go on and on and on. All reactive yeah. care is the most expensive care. Yes. Emerge visits. And what I heard there as well that I'm so excited about is that not only did you say that it would be covered, but the therapists would be paid really well. Yes. 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 I think, you know, one of my students the other day used this term that I had not heard before, which is pink collar label, which is the work that women do and how that work is valued societally. And it is not a coincidence that a field that is dominated by women doing work that tends to be seen as work that women do for free in families, which is emotional labor and relational intelligence. There's no coincidence that we struggle to think that we should be paid 50 or $60,000 a year when doctors know that they should be getting paid 150 to 200 to 300 grand. Like we have been tricked <laughs> into devaluing like the impact of our work. And if we even just think about it, as you said, like the value of our work in terms of broader health and healthcare systems and like savings that would happen in those systems, the work that we do has significant monetary value. And absolutely, I think that monetary value is at least 150 a year for therapists to be giving folks the support to make all of these other systems much less relevant and much less necessary. Oh yeah. Beautiful. It takes me back to thinking about how interns are not paid in this field. Can yeah. you imagine a male dominated profession where interns aren't paid? Yeah. Imagine a plumber being like, well, I'm going to go and do my apprenticeship and it's going to be unpaid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't. <laughs> it's no. not going to happen. Yeah. I've interviewed two doctors on the podcast and we spoke mm -hmm. about this and both mm -hmm. of them, especially one alluded to how being a female as a doctor, she mm. saw such differences in the level of burnout because there was more emotional stuff. And she said, you know, it wasn't that anyone was asking that of her. It was her conditioning. Yes. Her, mm -hmm. And it was it. So it made me think about even what we were talking about with the pink collar mm. and those who are paid that mm -hmm. same fee to be a doctor. The women feel much more burdened by the suffering. Yes. And yes. that's learned experience, likely. Mm -hmm. So it just got me thinking about how it's both the practical side and then it's the conditioning and emotional side that is something to be mindful of. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Lindsay. So is there anything as we're ending that you would like the listeners to know? Yeah. My like message that I'm most passionate about Aaron, at this point is that money is learnable, right? So like what I teach, like I mentioned earlier, gets a lot more into the nitty gritty mathy stuff. And that's stuff that often therapists are like, hmm, I could do that. Or I could just hide under my bed for 10 years. Mm. And what I know about therapists is like therapists are so smart, mm -hmm. so confident. We know how to solve problems. We do work that would send other people running, screaming, truly. And if you're listening and you are somebody who like 
is overwhelmed about money and like has been avoiding and owes back taxes or has no idea if you have enough for taxes, like those kinds of really tangible money things. I just want you to know that you absolutely can learn money. Like you've learned all of the other, frankly, much more difficult skill sets that have got you to where you are in your work. And, you know, as, as we talked about a little bit earlier, it's usually emotional barriers. So, you know, you can access the work that I do. You can look at other folks who are teaching this, but you know, I'm biased. I think that I do a good job of it. Once you can start to like work with those emotions and your learning brain becomes available again, you can learn money, no problem, and actually make it work for you. Beautiful. Thank you. And in the show notes, we're going to have all of Lindsay's links to find out more. Awesome. Thank you so much, Erin. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Therapist Expanded. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast to help more of our colleagues join the revolution.